Amen. And so you've got your Bible open. You can also look at the screen. We're looking at verse 1 of Malachi today, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, social media tells me that people are going goblin mode. Goblin mode. What is that all about? Well, the term embraces the comforts of laziness. The As you look at social media, you'll see all about this goblin mode. People are spending the day in bed watching TV, hashtag goblin mode, scrolling nonstop through social media while doing that, hashtag goblin mode, pouring the end of a bag of chips into your mouth, hashtag goblin mode, eating banana pancakes at the sink because you cannot be bothered to sit down and put it on a plate, hashtag goblin mode. You who embrace goblin mode often leave the house in your pyjamas and socks only to get a Coke no sugar from Coles, hashtag goblin mode. Goblin mode is a glorified state of idleness. For those who are curious, goblin mode first appeared on Twitter in 2009, but rose in popularity in 2022, according to Google Trends. The goblin mode is the opposite of trying to better yourself, said one social media um, accounts. Another person on TikTok said, I love barely holding on to my sanity and making awful selfish choices and participating in unhealthy habits and coping mechanisms. Hashtag goblin mode. In the fallout of the pandemic, people branded this new mode of living as an, quote, almost spiritual level embrace of our most degraded human inclinations, unquote. For many, goblin mode has become the natural evolution of humanity after these many years of COVID-19 despair. The West is in serious decline, friends. Goblin mode has caused many to become weary in keeping their personal goals and standard high. Goblin mode impacts our moral virtues and has actually been labelled as a new form of spiritual apathy. And you would have noticed that our series is titled Killing Apathy. This is the key theme of the book of Malachi. This is the key thing that Malachi needs to deal with, spiritual apathy. But what is spiritual apathy? It is a feeling of indifference to the deeper things of life, the things of God. Those who experience apathy describe their Christian experience as rather numb or dry or just going through the motions of religion. Rather than opting for real church, we might choose to sit on our couch and watch Hillsong in the morning or songs of praise at midday rather than finding accountability in the confinement of a holy church family. Those who are going through spiritual apathy rather than obeying the word of God might become indifferent to it, desiring entertainment over truth. Spiritual apathy is one of the root causes, I believe, of spiritual decline in the modern church in every age of the worship of God. And so I ask you today, do you struggle 
with spiritual apathy? Do you feel numb towards God? God is all holy and glorious and wonderful and satisfies our souls. Have you been satisfied in God? Do you find joy when you enter into worship? Or do you come feeling, oh, not again? I have to do this. My family's here. I've done this my whole life. I'm just counting the clock waiting. I'm counting the bricks on the wall. Just staring at the window up there, hoping for dear life that this ends soon. Spiritual apathy. For this reason, (laughs) we're going to spend the next few months looking at the book of Malachi. What's Malachi all about? Malachi, as I've already said, is a prophetic attack against spiritual apathy. In a time of spiritual disillusionment, Israel, the people of God, grew weary of God and of keeping his covenant laws and regulations and ways. After many years of zeal and fervency for God, there had been a steady erosion of living faith and spiritual urgency. Malachi speaks to a people whose spiritual flames are not on fire for the Lord, but are flickering low. We all have a candle in our home where we just wish that the, that would burn bright and the wick would launch and the flame would be high. But you sometimes have those candles and they're just flickering low and they sometimes turn off or are struggling to keep a lit. This is the people of Israel. Their faith has almost fossilized, become dead. It has lost its edge and their worship has become dead formal. In other words, without joy. How will God save his people from apathy? Well, the answer is found in verse 1. How will God save his people? Verse 1, look with me again. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Let us take a closer look at this verse. The first thing we learn is that God will seek to save his people from apathy through a prophecy. That word prophecy is also oracle, but it comes from the Hebrew word mesha. Can you guys say that? Mesha, which literally means burden. So the translation could say a burden. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The idea is that Malachi has a message that is weighty and burdensome to lift. The message is so difficult to carry that there is urgency in the prophecy. He desires to get the word of God off his chest as soon as possible. I could imagine that Malachi feels sick in the stomach. It's like he had just seen something gruesome. And desires to tell the cops as soon as possible that this gruesome thing has taken place. His heart rate is elevated and he's desperate to offload his burden, the burden that he carries. What was the heavy burden? Malachi teaches us later on that this heavy load was a message about the warning, the doom, the horrors of judgment. The final command of God in Malachi is to, Malachi 4.4, 4, remember the Lord, sorry, remember the law of my servant Moses, 
the decrees and laws I gave him. But there's bad news. The people of Israel had lost care for the ways of the Lord. After returning from exile, they returned to their former ways of rebellion and polluted the sacred spaces of worship. The nation entered a state of raging spiritual decline, leaving Malachi in a state of severe distress. So due to their rampant apathy towards God, Malachi now needs to announce the bad news. This is the burden he carries, the bad news. The bad news he carries, as I've already mentioned, is a threatening, heavy, furious message supercharged with the wrath of God. It's like most of the other prophets, they always have this message to share and it often has to do with God's wrath against sin. God is at the brink of pouring out his bent up, his pent up sorry, fury on his nation, Israel. These words, are much, these words are much worse than your school teacher saying, come and see me in my office right now. Much worse, much worse. God has come to a dreadful verdict and he's about to unleash an earthquake of judgment. The word of God to Israel through Malachi is therefore a burden. It is a woeful and sorrowful prophecy full of threats of judgment. Have you got that? The burden is a message about judgment. And we learn a key truth, a key doctrine, a key belief right now. Ready? Preachers like Malachi, like Jesus, like myself, carry the burden of God's judgment. We do. Due to the burden of the word, faithful preachers live with pressure upon their chest. It is hard to be a preacher who is faithful to the whole word of the Lord, not just John 3.16, but also John 3.18. If you remember from Easter, God so loved the world, but those who do not believe are condemned already. That kind of theology, truth of Jesus Christ. To be a preacher is to carry a great burden, the message of both good news and bad news. Due to the burden of the word, faithful preachers are not always happy people. Those called to the office of pastor must look at the world from the viewpoint of God. We're called to study the voice of God and be burdened by the burdens of God to feel what God feels. And so, <laughs> there'll be times in my ministry where I will be unhappy, <laughs> maybe uptight, maybe troubled by the weight of our sin. Consider Jesus and the burden he carried. He grieved over the sins of God's people in Jerusalem. He said in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, sent, who were sent to you to save your souls. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, we can hear the groan and the burden of Jesus Christ, the weight that was upon his chest. And so like Jesus and Malachi, faithful preachers are often burdened people. The sin we see is a terrible weight to bear. Often we try to unburden ourselves, 
from the heavy load like an impatient donkey, indeed. One day, a donkey, loaded with salt, fell into a river. He was so burdened, but he fell into a river. And after he rose from the river, he found that his burden was lighter. For the moisture made the salt melt away. From that moment, whenever he entered a river, the donkey would lie down in the water with his burden and he would ease himself. After a while, his owner noticed the act and loaded their donkey with wool, lots of wool. The donkey was covered with wool. What did the donkey do the next time he went to the river? Next time he went to the river, he put his back into the waters and then lifted himself out of the river. But his knees were giving way because what does wool do? It absorbs water. He came under a heavy strain. And so pastors carry a heavy burden, but escaping from the reality of sin to find personal relief is not a solution for the burden minister. It's not a solution. There's no shortcuts to getting rid of people's sin. (laughs) There's no shortcuts to godliness. There's no shortcuts to true faithful preaching of the word. In our distress, pastors and all followers of Jesus, you included, must learn to bear the burden of sin and judgment with the gospel. Like Malachi, we must carry the heavy load of truth upon our chests, even when it's tough. Like Jesus, we must carry the cross even when our knees are giving way, even when the cross knocks us down three times as we are climbing to that hill on Calvary. Even though gospel ministry is painful, we are all commissioned to deliver the burden of both salvation and judgment. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must take the message of the Lord Jesus to the ends of the earth, through dangerous seas, through deserts, through the greatest pains and toils we will ever imagine. We take the gospel everywhere, pleading with all people to turn to Christ and live before it's too late. Do you carry this burden? of the gospel, this message of both judgment and salvation, of good news and bad news. Well, this brings me to my second point for today. Second and third point, God will seek to save his people from apathy through his words spoken through Malachi. While the word of God comes through Malachi, the authority, power, and supremacy of the word is not altered. Malachi simply means this, my messenger. That's the meaning of the name Malachi. Malachi does not speak on his own accord. The oracle prophecy is not the work of his own intellect. Yes, he's translating what God has said to him in human terms, but it's not his message. He is the messenger. He is the ambassador of what God has already spoken to him. 
His burden is the unpolluted, untainted, infallible word of truth. John Calvin said, quote, Malachi was employed as an instrument so that he brought nothing of his own, unquote. The word of the Lord through Malachi is of divine origin, not of human artistry or authority. Even though his word is spoken through an imperfect, ordinary man, it remains the word of God, the word of God, the word of truth, the word that makes alive. Here's another doctrine, truth, belief for you today. God speaks through ordinary people. God's word comes to us and pierces our heart through ordinary men, women, people, teenagers, children even, who preach the gospel. When a preacher makes known the voice of God with accuracy and precision, being faithful to what scripture teaches, it is the voice of God to the people. This might be a radical idea to think about, but 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says this, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. In 1562, one Swiss reformer also said, in response to this verse, when the word of God is preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and must be received by the faithful, that is, if it's faithful teaching. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God and is therefore one of the most significant activities on planet Earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say that the call to preach is the highest of callings in all the earth. Man, what a burden to carry, right? <laughs> what a burden. Oh, Why? Because it influences the whole of humanity. The future is that Christ will win and preachers have the charge of equipping the saints for bearing the gospel into every sector of life. Schools, workplaces, police, wherever you go. So I just want to ask you, do you prize the word of God preached? I think you do because you're here, but do you prize it? Is it something of highest importance to you? Do you, learn, do you yearn sorry, to hear God speak in ways in which cut you to the heart and are relevant for our times? Do you prize it? Is it your bread and butter? Jesus said, I do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you prize the words that come from the mouth of God? Since God speaks through preachers, it is our duty to listen to God as he speaks, even through commoners like me. Even through commoners like me. Sitting under the preached word is a sacred sacred activity. For this is the place where the voice of God thunders and roars, where Christ weeps and pleads for our salvation, for your salvation. Even sermons based upon passages like Malachi 1.1 are the word of God when expounded in depth. In depth, sorry. 
when expounded in depth. Even though these opening words of Malachi are set down with precision, there are moments where God calls people to present them at large, to be heard with all reverence, received with all humility, believed with all faith, obeyed with all care, through different personalities, styles and methods. The voice of God thunders from age to age through the preached word of God. Please then pray for those who preach. Every week we labour with heartfelt diligence before God. People don't know what it takes to do this. Seeking his assistance and grace in our endless study, writing, speaking, repeat. Study, writing, speaking, repeat. It never stops. There's always a sermon on the go. Right now I've got pressure. Oh, I've got five extra talks to write in the coming weeks for a youth conference. Oh, it's endless, but I enjoy it, but it's endless. Pray for those who preach. Pray that all preachers will spread the word of God with genuine love, presenting the truth as a reliable dispenser, as a reliable messenger like Malachi, without fear of people, nor influenced by their own sinful impulses. It's not about me. It's just about our holy God, our holy God of love, who desires for you to draw close to him as children who are deeply loved by him. God loves you and he yearns for you to hear his instruction, his will for your life. Pray for preachers. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? So far, we've learnt this. God will seek to save his people, firstly, by a burdensome prophecy, and secondly, by his preached word through Malachi, the messenger. And finally, my final point is this. God will seek to save his people by disciplining them as a whole nation. The usage of the word Israel is very important to note in understanding Malachi. Malachi could have called the people returning from exile the returning exiles, or Benjamin and the tribe of Judah and a little bit of the, Levi- the, the uh, Levites, sorry. Malachi could have called his people these names. But why does he call them Israel, even though Israel, in its, all its fullness, did not return because most of Israel was destroyed? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand a brief history of God's people. After the reign of Solomon ended, the nation of Israel split through the conflict of his two sons, Jeroboam, who was very evil, and Rehoboam. Jeroboam began to reign over the northern kingdom. Sorry, yeah, Jeroboam began to reign over the northern kingdom, the ten tribes up there, known as Israel. And Rehoboam ruled over the southern kingdom, known as Judah. Later, God judged the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. And earlier, he judged the northern kingdom through the Assyrians. While these judgments were harsh, God never deserted his people. In his amazing grace and love for his nation, he preserved a remnant, a small group of faithful Israelites who would survive the exile. 
Knowing that God is a promise-keeping God, the prophets look forward to a great day when the scattered remnants throughout the nations would return to Jerusalem and be a re-established Israel. Ezekiel 37 verse 22 says, I'll make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and there will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. Since God has called his people Israel here in Malachi 1, it is a sign that the prophecy has been fulfilled. Regardless of their low numbers and big faults right now, these returning exiles became a united nation under God called Israel. They, re- they entered into exile as a broken, divided people, and they returned from exile as a remnant as a united Israel. Even though not all the tribes return, this is the true Israel that God preserved. And so we just sit there and think, in light, in light of that context, man, God's love is amazing. These people are so rebellious, they completely rejected God. They were adulterous and flirted with all the other gods in the land. But no matter what, God kept, kept sorry, his promises to his people and protected a remnant who would return to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem and the walls and start afresh with God before the, before the coming of the Messiah. It looked like times were bright. The future looked bright. This was a glorious time. The people of God were delivered out of captivity and now able to worship him with newfound freedom. God unleashed his many blessings on his people, people who were burdened by the horrors and tears of captivity. But even though they enjoyed the gift of home, we must remember this about the people of Israel. They are a stiff-necked, stubborn people who forget. After 80 years of returning to the land, full of joy and zeal for the Lord, Israel lost her zeal. Lost the law of God in their hearts. In their spiritual apathy, lack of care, indifference to the things of God, they returned to their former corruptions and rebellions. When they should have been made better by God's mercies, Israel grew worse. And so here's a final truth for you to take home today. God's blessings, God's blessing does not guarantee that we will be faithful to him. You could be the wealthiest person in all of Scone, six-figure income, maybe seven-figure income, Enjoy all the blessings, a perfect time, a perfect family, beautiful animals on your property, lush wildlife surrounding you, no troubles in all your mind and heart, but you can still be far from God. God's blessing does not guarantee that you are faithful to him. What will then God do? Well, Malachi chapter 3 verse 5 tells us that God will put Israel on trial. Like a loving father, God will discipline his rebellious children. 
Solomon says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. God loves his children so much that he desires to protect them from all eternal harm. In his love, God will then discipline his people for their sins and offenses to save their very souls. Likewise, as heirs of God, when we rebel against God our Father and become apathetic towards his ways, we too must expect that despite all the blessings that we are enjoying in the present, we too must expect that we will be disciplined. Paul says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Our God is a father of love. He does not want us to perish, to be condemned, to be isolated from him forever. Through his hand of judgment, he shows us the way of life. Through his warnings, he offers us wisdom and drives away our folly. God, our Father, takes the long-term view of parenting. He disciplines those he loves in the present to give them peace and to increase his own joy into the future. Our God is a God who disciplines those he loves because he loves us. How does God discipline us? He may use trouble at work, hardship in our homes, or struggle in the ministry for, my, for me. God may allow us to experience loss. God may allow us to experience a bout of school bullying to wake us up to what's most important. God may send physical pains or even death our way. Often God will simply allow the natural consequences of our sin to run their course. And we will find ourselves as we walk down this pathway that leads to death, that things in our body, things in our life are just falling apart before our eyes. And we wonder, how on earth, God, did I get here? And God will say, are you a prodigal son? It's time to come back. It's time to come back. My arms are open wide. It's time to come back. Repent, draw near to me. I'm a forgiving God, I love you. It's time to come back. And so while we are forgiven, we often are corrected by God to make us more mature, to keep us on the right path, to purify us from sin so that we do not live in a state of Spiritual apathy. Think about your life right now. What is hard in your life? Maybe God's using that hardship to discipline you, to teach you something. How is God disciplining you? I'd like you to think about that question for the rest of the day. What is God doing in my life to make me the child he desires me to be? Friends, what should we make of this opening verse in Malachi? Malachi opens with a pressured man pressuring a casual people to feel the weight of the truth. 
Like Malachi, Malachi, so like Jesus, Malachi does not want us to live in goblin mode. He does not want us to be complacent, lukewarm, going through the motions of religion. He doesn't want Jesus to one day say to us, you are neither cold nor hot, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, like he said to the church of Laodicea. Like Jesus, who is burdened with our sin, Malachi wants the people of God to be hot, on fire, full of zeal and joy for the Lord their God. Let us then make it our goal this term, for however long we go through Malachi, to be killing sin, to be killing apathy before it be killing you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message from Malachi. We thank you that the prophets speak truth into our lives even today. Help us not to be bound down in a state of spiritual apathy, but may we be alive in the gospel of Jesus Christ drawing close to you as children who love you and desire to live holy and pleasing lives before you. Help us to not be people of spiritual apathy, but to be people of zeal and joy in the Lord our God. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.